0: And I want to say thank you so much for being here with us. For those of you who were gone all summertime and you are back, starting a new semester, or perhaps if you're here for the very first time, maybe first time in Tallahassee, or you just, you know, heard about our church and are investigating, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, especially if you're from out of town, I want to tell you the reason that I'm glad you're here. Uh, if you have been going to our church and are back to our church, then there's a good chance um, that we have seen your social media, and I'm so glad to stop looking at pictures of you guys in just incredible parts of the world. You're like in Barbados and Greece and, you know... <laughs> we go to St. George, you know, and, and, and you were out, you know, experience white water raft and doing cool stuff, and I'm like, yeah, we had like a slip and slide at the house, you know, in July, it was pretty swell, uh, but either way, we're glad that you're here with us, and we are talking over the next two weeks about a series called Foundations, and the reason that we wanted to talk about this is uh, for two reasons, number one is because our church, like every other organization, was started for a reason. It started on purpose. It started for with a foundational set of beliefs and ideals. And similar to every other church or every or other organization, uh, if you run a business, in fact, you know this intuitively, that every church, every organization, every business has a tendency to float away from, it has a gravitational pull away from the original foundation that it started in business because you're diversifying product lines and there's new acquisitions there's new opportunities, Oftentimes, you can lose the reason, you can lose the fund- foundational um, principles and ideas happens in the sports world, you see uh, teams, in fact, let's pray all together, communally you know, for this Saturday coming up because our, our boys are going to need it, you know <laughs> let's pray, yeah, thank you, let's pray that our defense holds like they should and our secondary knows what the heck they're doing because we know that they have the spirit of God surrounding them because us at great, Great cloud of witnesses but let's you know beginning of last year they blown coverages left and right and you know they knew i mean they are just fantastic incredible athletes but when any team when any organization floats away from the foundation of what got it there in the first place we risk a whole host of things from just sideways motion we can risk you know a, a eventual failure and we can especially in the church world risk the fact of the thought of not being faithful to what God has called us to do as a church. Now, let me tell you the second reason we talk about this. We are a non-denominational church, which means many of you who grew up in the church world grew up in a denomination. I grew up in a denomination. Again, many of you grew up in a denomination. Some of us, we grew up in a denomination like I grew up in, where they, we were, I was Episcopal. It was a very traditional. You didn't see a pastor, or we didn't call him pastor. You didn't see a rector or a father who didn't walk up and have you know this this wonderful white flowy cape on. You know it's called a robe, and he had this little rope thing that was tied around him. And I always wondered who cleans that because I would spill some stuff on that on the regular if we had coffee at that church. And, you know, you didn't didn't walk down and, you know, they had like what they had at our church, which I love the tradition. You know, stained glass it was a beautiful sanctuary. And the guy came in and he, you know, carried from time to time on the big Sundays, you know, this little incense thing that swung back and forth. And as a little kid, all you want to do is touch it, you know, and say, what is that? Some of us, we grew up in churches that were much different than that. You grew up in a church, perhaps, where you didn't, you, you haven't experienced a Sunday where a pastor didn't get up in jeans and a t-shirt or jeans and like a super deep V and he had flip-flops on and he had these like square glasses and he sat on a stool and it said the the climax of the sermon got real soft and talked like this and he was relevant you know so some of us grew up in that church and then that's that's fantastic but that to say um, some of us on top of that did not grow up in a church background at all we're here this morning and we didn't have the church we didn't have the every attendance we maybe went out from big, from time to time on big sundays but you weren't a church growing family you didn't grow up necessarily with the faith it was kind of a, a hodge of what made sense to you and what made sense to your family either that god wasn't there that perhaps we don't even know or not capable of knowing if god is there or god exists but it's this collection of what we think makes sense now regardless of what your belief is, regardless of what camp you're in, number one, we are so glad you're here, and number two, we just want to talk for a second at the outset of what kicks off for us an entire ministry season and say, this is for us the foundation of why and how we started as a church. And a couple of you who are Sunday school aficionados. You know, you're a Sunday school savant. Your church growing up had the felt board and you just had every little felt thing that you could have on your. In fact, you brought your own felt things from home because they didn't have enough for you. You're thinking, okay, I know the foundation. The foundation is Jesus. And We would say, yes, we're so glad that you came. But that's not, you know, not that that's not it, but there is about a hundred ways. In fact, there are thousands of ways that the thought of making Jesus the centerpiece of a church plays out. And so we want to talk about, for us, what we think is the call of the life of the believer, and the life of the church as a whole, and how you and I display Jesus. Now let me pause and say this. If you're here again questioning church, not really sure what you believe, here's my hope. My hope is that you at least hear what a church could and should be. We are not perfect at this. In fact, as we go from, from the rest of the time, I just want to put a disclaimer we are not the only church that does this. We are not the only church that does this in the world, in our state, and certainly not in our city. But we simply want to be one of the churches that is the church of what we're going to talk about over the next two weeks. So to get us started, y'all going in the right direction. I just want to ask one simple question that we're going to spend the next two weeks answering. Simply this. Why in the world would anyone six years ago start a church in Tallahassee, Florida? Why in the world would anyone start a brand new church in Tallahassee, Florida? Because if you're from Tallahassee, especially, you know this. Many of you aren't. In fact, if this is your first weekend in Tallahassee, you know this simply by being here. There are lots and lots and lots of churches in our city. So why in the world, in a church, in a a city full of churches, start another church Why would we, and why would I, having had a lot of success in the youth ministry that we came from, leave all of that to start a new church? Why would we come together week after week and ask you, would you come, would you allow us, would you help us, would you serve with us, would you attend, would you invite, would you go to group? Why would we ask you? In fact, why would every week we get up and... And say, we're going to pass around a basket and we're gonna, you, know, you can give online. Why would we ask you to give to a new church? Because Tallahassee has a lot, a lot, a lot of churches. So we're going to spend the next two weeks answering that question. Now, to get us going, we are going to go to a place in uh, the book of Acts. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Acts is in the New Testament. New Testament is basically everything that happened since Jesus showed up. It starts off in New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are four different accounts written by a guy named Matthew, a guy named Mark, a guy named Luke, and a guy named John. You guys are you're Bible scholars, to tell you. You know, you know they, were, they were very, very innovative when they came up with these titles. And so they had a creative team get together. So Matthew wrote, okay, Matthew, Mark, Mark, Luke, Luke, John, John. Well, the same guy that wrote the book of Luke writes what happens right after the book of John, which is the book of Acts. Luke was, was a historian, and he was a doctor. Luke was a historian, he was a doctor. And so what Luke did at the beginning of Luke chapter 1 is he's writing to his buddy named Theophilus. He says, Theo, he doesn't call him that, but that's what we call him. Theo, I am writing, I've interviewed lots of people, lots of eyewitnesses, to lots of disciples, and I've talked to them, and I want to give you, Theophilus, an orderly account of the life of Jesus. So I say that to say, then he wrote the book of Acts, which is after Jesus died, or he kind of, in, the, in chapter 1 of the book of Acts, records the end of Jesus' life, and Acts is the story then of the early church. What happened, what happened, what happened after Jesus died? And so Luke, a historian and a doctor, wrote this. Luke, a very smart man, wrote this. So I say, that to say this, if you're here, you're new to faith, you're new to the Bible, I'm not asking you to believe in the whole Bible yet. What I'm saying is let's together look at an ancient, ancient, ancient document that was written by a historian that just happens to be in the Bible. So if you've got your Bible, you can open up. We're going to be in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 um, is, recounts a guy named Paul. Now let me give you a little more context to what's happening at this point. The book of Acts, again, is the story of the early church. There was a really central player in the early church, a guy named Paul. Paul, beginning of the story of the early church, hates Christians, kills Christians, has an unbelievable experience where he becomes a Christian. Paul then becomes the predominant church planner in the ancient world. Paul basically talked to the other eleven disciples who were around. one of them died, and that's a whole other story about the end of Jesus's life. But there was eleven more that were around that were originally followed Jesus. And Paul eventually went to him one day and said, "Hey, fellas, why don't you guys stick in Jerusalem, and I'm just going to take the rest of the world." And so Paul went around and traveled around the Mediterranean, and planting church after church after church. And when he did that, they were oftentimes be extraordinary results in terms of people coming to know Jesus, churches getting started, church getting started. and there was oftentimes also be times where he would go to a church, go to a particular place, go to a particular city, he would start a church, and after a weekend, he would get chased out of the city. And so Paul is at the end of his life, and Paul knows it. In fact, in Acts chapter 20, he is on the way to Jerusalem, and he knows at Jerusalem that he's going to die. And on his way, he goes from a place called Miletus, and as he's going from Miletus to Jerusalem, he stops at a place really close to a church called Ephesus. Now, Paul did not have the time to go to Ephesus because he was trying to get to Jerusalem by a particular religious holiday. But Paul still wanted to talk to the the church leaders at Ephesus. And in the book of Acts, Luke records a conversation or a speech that Paul gives. Now, let me tell you why this speech is important. Now, you might not know this even if you're a Bible person. This is the only time, this is the only place that Luke records in all of the book of Acts where there is a speech recorded from Paul specifically to Christians. All of the other sermons that we have that Paul gave are to a group of philosophers. There are a group of, you know, some Christians, non-Christians. There are a group of people who were Jewish who had the background, the lineage of Christianity, but they weren't Christians themselves. This is the only time that Paul speaks specifically, or we have a recorded speech specifically to what he told to some church leaders and the Christians specifically. It's as if Paul, Luke was saying, okay, Paul's about to die and he knows it. Let me record The critical components of Paul's last conversations with these church leaders so that the church doesn't forget and the church doesn't get off course as it goes forward. So that the church doesn't lose its foundation. So this is what he says. Acts chapter 20. We're going to start at verse 17. Now from Miletus, he being Paul, sent to Ephesus and called to the elders of the church, that was the pastors, to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Now, the reason that Paul begins his statement with this is is simple. In their day, even though Paul had spent a few years, a couple chapters back, he had spent a few years in Ephesus, there were people that had come into the church. And it started to say, you know, it started to say, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. That whole thing about if you're going to be a Christian, it's not about a sense of moral framework, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. That if you're going to be a Christian, what Paul would teach is that if you're going to be a Christian, it's so simple, it's dynamic, but it's simple. It's that we in and of ourselves are sinful, that God is holy, God is pure, God is righteous, and that you and I, because of our sinfulness, fall inevitably short. But God saw that and didn't hold it against you. God saw that in me and didn't hold it against me, that he sent his one and only son to the earth to perform miracles that were inexplicable, to do teachings that were incredible and sometimes incredibly challenging, and then to die on the cross. And that it's not you or me, Deciding to become a good moral person. It's not because I take my hat off when I pray. It's not because I don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss. It's because of my faith and my belief that Jesus is the only way. That Jesus died for my sins. That I am now covered and washed clean. And now have a right standing with my heavenly father. People would come and say, whoa, 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 whoa. If you're going to believe in Jesus, you have to Believe in Jesus. If you're going to be a Christian. You have to believe in Jesus and you have to have all this sense of what was to them an Old Testament morality. You have to follow all of these laws. You've got to follow all of these rules. Some of the rules that we think about aren't the rules that they think about. We think of, okay, some big, you know, notable sins. What they thought about was they thought about religious festivals. They thought about circumcision and they thought about food sacrifice to idols. Those were their main hang ups. But they'd say, if you're going to be a Christian, moral framework plus Jesus, moral framework plus Jesus, moral framework plus Jesus. So, in light of that, Paul says, okay, so let me just reestablish a moral authority. When I was with you, I lived a particular way that spoke to the truth of the gospel. And so let me give you some pointers on what's happening. 20. And how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you, and this is significant, in public and from house to house. Now, if you got your, if you've got a Bible and you've got your pen with you, you can underline public and house to house, because here was Paul's ministry. Paul's ministry was both evangelistic and discipleship. Evangelism and discipleship. Evangelism and discipleship. Discipleship, really, if we're being technical about it, is both evangelism and depth, but in our current lexicon, it's evangelism, helping people to come to know Jesus. So Paul would go into public places. He would go into the synagogues. He would go into the temple. Paul would go into a place where all the philosophers were were gathered together. Paul would go onto the street corner, not like a weirdo like sometimes we have now, which if you're one of those people, I'm not saying that you're a weirdo, but perhaps. Anyways, uh, that was common in their day. And so Paul would go and he would tell everybody about Jesus. Jew, Gentile, didn't matter. Just telling people. And here, here, here's what was interesting. Paul did it and it worked. And it worked. In fact, this was fascinating. If you, if you read the Bible, in fact, if you aren't here, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're on the fence, you're on the periphery of Christianity, just not sure, you should read the Bible. Here's why. What you would do is if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Here's what you would find. People... Who were nothing like Jesus. The most sick. The most sinful. Was the people that Jesus spent the most time with. And they liked him. The people who were nothing like Jesus. Flocked to Jesus. By the hundreds. Sometimes by the thousands. The people who were the most sinful. Liked. Him, which means if you're in here new to church not really sure what you believe not really sure let me tell you if jesus were here that means he would probably rather spend time with you than he would with me and you would probably like him even if maybe you don't like christians so he would teach public and then he would go from house to house with little groups of christians Paul was a a part of a particular religious sect that had the entire Old Testament memorized. And so he would go and he would connect Jesus in the Old Testament or the Messiah in the Old Testament to Jesus in the New Testament. Messiah in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament. And he would illuminate the Old Testament with how Jesus was the fulfillment. He not only had the broad appeal of Jesus, he had the depth of discipleship. He met with people, walked through life with people, prayed with folks. He says, don't forget, there was a broad, there was a wide, but there was also a deep. Fine. Both to the Jews and the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter Jews had all the religious backgrounds. Greek no religious background let me just tell you I I hope I just hope this is true about our church that it doesn't matter if you grew up in church or you have never been to a church before I hope we don't treat you any differently I hope we don't welcome you any differently I don't I hope we don't give you any preferential treatment because the gospel is for everyone the good news of Jesus is for any and everybody and so Paul says this talking about what's about to happen, verse 22. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course In the ministry that I received of the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel or to the good news of the grace of God. In other words, Paul would say, hey, let me just tell you, this is all that matters to me. I know I'm going, and I know where I'm going, I'm going to die. And that does not matter to me, that does not move me, that does not have an effect or an affect on my behavior. On how I teach and how I preach. Because I want everyone to know Jesus, and I want those of you who do know Jesus to be depthened and deep in your faith. Let me tell you why this is so, so, so important. Many churches, lots of churches, are described by one or the other. We're either a broad church that reaches people. That lots and lots of folks walk in the door, lots and lots and lots of new people, and we're evangelistic, and we want people to know about Jesus. We're evangelistic, and we want people to know about Jesus. Or the churches that have discipleship, they're deep. We had not seen a new person walk in the door in 15 years, but that's all right. Because we know our Bible, and we know it well. And when they walk in, in fact, we're going to look at them, judge them, and say, what are you doing? You must be new here. You ain't from around here, are you, boy? You know, that's... And here's what happens. Not every church, but lots of churches, are one of these two. And when we started as a church, we thought, man, how incredible would it be if a church wasn't one or the other, if we mixed a sense of evangelism, and met that with relational depth and discipleship. How incredible would it be if a church that you could come to that you could feel like you were fueled up from and you could go out and it wasn't just about you bringing your folks here. It was about that you were investing and loving and caring for the people in your life and the gospel went forward, that it had reach, that people came to know Jesus because that's part of the reason Jesus, Jesus came, by the way, is to die for us, to spread the good news. In fact, the great commission, Jesus says, so go therefore and make disciples. We don't wanna take that lightly. Let me just say this last thing. I heard a guy from a, de- from a particular denomination of a church as I was talking to him. He was over a lot of churches and he was talking about the rate of which churches didn't have anybody new that came in the door anybody knew that decided they were going to follow Jesus and he said if McDonald's didn't sell any hamburgers would they stay open I thought no but we're churches we stay open regardless we can pay bills anyway side, side story so what if there was a church that you could invite someone to as you invested in them as you talked to them that we know in our culture in our day and in our age There is something appealing about a presentation of the gospel. There's something about a presentation in general. That's why we go to movies. That's why we go to presentations. That's why stuff like the blue man group where somebody dresses up in all blue and bangs on a pipe is neat. And we pay $100 to go watch it. Because presentations are effective. What if there was a church that you felt great about inviting your friend who had no religious affiliation to? You know that they would be loved cared for, welcomed, and they would feel comfortable when they sat down in that church. They would not feel judged. Now, let me just talk to some Christians for a second, okay? So if you're not in here, you're not a Christian, this isn't for you, so let me just talk to Christians for a second. For some of us, when we heard that word comfortable, we thought, I don't know if I'm gonna like this church. The gospel is, offen- is offensive because the presupposition of the gospel is that you and I inevitably fall short The foundation of the gospel is that God saw that God did not condemn us for that. He sent his son to die for it, to offer ultimate grace and love and forgiveness on the cross. The gospel is offensive. Our coffee bar should not be. Our parking team should not be. Our greeters should not be. In fact, the music that's playing before the people walk in should not be offensive. The gospel should be offensive. And this is kind of the way that I say it. And if you're young in here, I'm so sorry. But the gospel should be offensive. We should not intentionally piss people off in the parking lot, okay? That's just my thought. What if there was a church? that at the same time they had that appeal, they had that reach, they had that broad, they had that evangelism to it, that the gospel was presented, people's lives were changed, met that with real relationships, real discipleship. You could sit down in groups with each other. And I'm not talking about just, oh, we have a group thing. I'm talking about you could actually live a life with people. You could have people that hold you accountable. You could have people that talk about how the scriptures interface with their life. You could talk about learning things. You could talk about deeper things. You could have accountability. You could have people pray for you constantly, throughout the week, there was a sense of transparency and you grew in your knowledge and your depth and your love and your service. What if there was a church that had both at the exact same time? Now, let me show you one last thing that Paul said as he concludes this letter. This is the thing that I feel like is our call uniquely. I don't, again, think that we are the only church to do this in our city. But this is the call that I think is the difference in what God has called us to do. In fact, let me just push this way. Many of you are here, and you're church shopping, and I think you should, in fact, if you don't like our church, that's, that's, I, have no, I feel no offense to that. You should go to a number of different churches, pick which one's the best for you, pick which one's gonna help you to reach people more and it's gonna disciple you more. You should absolutely do that. But let me give you one last lens to look through before we close. This is what Paul said. In his final words. We're gonna skip down and go to verse 32. He said, and now I commend you to God into the word of His grace, which is able to build you up, and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So they, he, by the way, said, "Hey, let's, let's let God's word have the authority here. Let's have God's word be in charge." Verse thirty-three. And I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In other words, Paul would say, and you saw how I lived, you saw how I not only took responsibility for myself, but I took responsibility for those around me. I not only made sure I paid for myself, I paid for the people around me. I helped the people around me. Now, imagine, imagine this. What would you say if these are your last words to people that you spent years with and you know you will never see them on the face of this earth, I want you to see what Paul said and feel the gravity of what he said as he finishes. Verse 35. In all things, I have shown that by hard work in this way, we must help the weak. We must, Paul said, as Christians. Not we ought to. Not we probably should talk about it or pray about it or think about it. Not we ought to be associated with a group or an organization that has committed you know, a, a ministry or a board or a missions group to the weak. But we ought to be committed to doing this. To remembering the week, remembering, he said, the words of Jesus and how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than receive. Let me tell you, when we started this church, the dream was not that we would be just a church that reaches people and that disciples people. That is very important, but at the heart, of the gospel at the heart of the scriptures was this simple simple truth jesus always prioritized the marginalized jesus always prioritized the marginalized jesus always prioritized the marginalized that's why Devin came up and talked about the hope program not because hey it's a good hope program it's kind of cool and it's kind of fluffy and you should be a part of it no because we care deeply about the marginalized we care deeply about the people who our culture, who our society has pushed aside. We care deeply about the people who have a voice, but their voice is not as loud, their voice is not as strong because of some societal constraint, because of whatever, and so we want to be a voice to the voiceless. James said it this way, the brother of Jesus, who is a very straightforward guy, and I appreciate about him. James is the type of guy, by the way, who if you have a business and you got a board, you would want James on your board, because he can tell you what he thinks, regardless of what you feel about it. He said, let me just tell you, religion that God our Father finds as, as pure and faultless as this the widows and the orphans. After the widows and the orphans. You would look after the most marginalized and the most susceptible people in your culture, in your society, in your city. You would look after the widows and the orphans. This for us is not a part of our church. This is our church. This is the totality. This is the whole nature of our church that we want to love God. We want to help people come to know him. We want to introduce him to the people to the life-changing truth of Jesus. We want people to love God. And then we want to make disciples with those people. We want to help their relationship with God grow deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And we think that the way that that manifests itself or one of the ways that that manifests itself that was central to how Jesus owned and worked and operated is he was always consumed with ministry to the marginalized, ministry to people that nobody would touch, ministry to people that no one would speak to, ministry to people who were social and societal outcasts. In fact, Paul, as he's about to go talk to the people, we're going to learn this in about four or five weeks in Galatians chapter 2, he goes to the people, he goes to the disciples, he goes to the apostles, the core guys, and he says, I'm called to the Gentiles. They said, absolutely, you're called to the Gentiles. But the one thing we want you to do is to remember the poor, which he says, which was the very thing I wanted to do. Jesus talked about this city on a hill that let your light shine. Isaiah, before Jesus said that, spoke in Isaiah chapter 58, and he said this. He said, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the poor and on behalf behalf of the needy, your light will shine like the noonday. In other words, the way that you let your light shine is not to have better music, it's not to have better teaching, it's not to have a better sermon, it's not simply to have groups. Those things all might be good, they all might be beneficial, but it is that you would care for the disenfranchised and marginalized and we are committed as a church to continually making that a priority in our church. We are committed as a church to continually put that in front of you, give you opportunities to engage and invest in those that Jesus cared so deeply about. What if there was a church who people with no religious affiliation felt comfortable, felt loved, felt engaged, felt like maybe God doesn't hate them because of their sinfulness. Maybe that God loves and died for them because of our sinfulness. What if there was a church that saw that and as people came to know Jesus was committed to helping you as an individual grow in your knowledge, in your love, in your community, and in the depth of your relationship with Jesus. And what if there was a church that did such a good job of those two things, it manifested itself. And the central focus of the entire church was ministry to the marginalized. I think that would be a great church. I think that's a church that I want to be a part of. And I think that's what God has called me to in my personal life. I think regardless of what church you end up at, I pray and I hope that you end up at a church like that. Let me tell you the one thing that I think is unique about our church. When we started this whole thing, we had had a wonderful youth group it was going great. I had a wonderful, wonderful support system. My pastor was fantastic. He's still my mentors. He's one of the greatest leaders I know. Unfortunately, he doesn't pastor in this town or outside. I'd say, you should just go to his church. Our youth group, middle school, high school, in fact, some of you guys are still here and you were part of it, grew. Started to put in some of these principles and it grew. We got to the point where on a normal Sunday Our youth worship, our youth attendance would outnumber our adult attendance. And I had a pastor who did not think territorially. He thought he had a responsibility to continually pour into, say God is moving here, God is moving here. How can we empower you and the ministry to the youth that's happening here to do more and to go further faster? We had a fantastic system. Fantastic support. And about seven years ago God dropped this bomb on me in Sonny's on Timber Lane. Just want to throw an asterisk in there. That was before Mission or Four Rivers was here, okay? Don't judge me. And said, how incredible would a church be who lived this and was proximal to the need? How dynamic would a church be who existed in the neighborhood that they ministered that we didn't have to go from somewhere else and there's nothing wrong with churches that do. Please hear me say that. But the unique and distinct calling was to be a church that was proximal, that we could be honestly a bridge for other churches who wanted to love and wanted to go and wanted to serve in the name of Jesus. For people who wanted to be a light but didn't know how to. We wanted to be a church that didn't have to go anywhere but just simply had to open its doors, had to go out from its doors and walk in a mile and there was so much physical, emotional and spiritual need. We live next door to one of, if not the neighborhood with the highest crime rate, the highest infant mortality rate, the highest level of single motherhood living in poverty, the highest level of incarceration is less than a mile. Many of those kids are incorporated and involved in the HOPE program and we wanted to be a church who loved God, who made disciples, and who was great neighbors to our literal neighbors around us. In about a month, we're going to launch a program called Project Tallahassee, and I hope you do and let me tell you why I'm so excited about Project Tallahassee this year. We have and we are located directly across from Echo who is right next door to us we partner with. Five Center who is right next door to us and in about a week we are going to meet with Pay School for Girls who takes girls who are oftentimes the highest level of living in poverty. Many of whom have kids some of them do, some of them don't but they have fallen behind in school and they help them get back to the thing. And we say you are doing a great work. We don't care if you're a Christian or not we just want to be great neighbors to you. We want to exist and minister in the community that we live in. Let me just say this. We are not perfect at this. We're not perfect at any of this. I wake up every morning thinking about all the things that we can fix in our church, sometimes to a fault. We want to be a great church. We want to be a church that's founded on Jesus. We want to be a church that loves God, that makes disciples, and as great neighbors to the community around us. Wherever you land at a church, whether you go to our church or a different church, whether you're dropping your kids off and you're going back to a different place, whether you're here for the first time because it's a new building and you just wanted to come check it out, let me just tell you, I pray that you are part of a local church that loves God, that makes disciples, that has evangelism, has discipleship, And has a central focus on ministry to the marginalized. And I will for real end with this. If you're here on the periphery of church, don't know if you believe in Jesus, you might not think, and you might say that's all well and good and all that kind of stuff, but I still don't believe in Jesus. That is okay. We hope that you come to the same belief that we do. But let me just ask you this in closing How much differently would you think about Christians? How much differently would you think about church? How much differently would you think about God? How much differently would you think about Jesus if you saw a group of Christians who actually lived this? Our goal is not simply to be a church who loves God, not simply to be a church who is focused on discipleship, And not simply to be a church who has a missional outreach, ministry to the marginalized component of it. We want to be all three at the exact same time. And we think, I think, that's what every church ought to be. And I am praying that you get connected, whether it's our church or a different church to a body of believers that is described that way so that you will be a Christian as the New Testament describes you will be a Christian whose light shines as you as we individually love God and make disciples and are great neighbors and that's the first part of why we started a church in Tallahassee, Florida let's pray